Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. Power blackouts. They happen every year, but guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. Women are rageful all the time, and for good reason. Mm -hmm. So I think that I've given permission, that the character's given permission for a lot of women to be angry, which I enjoy. I'm happy about that. Um, there's always something to be angry at. I remember like previous seasons when I was raising teenagers, I could always get into a rage yeah. about something. Yeah. Politics, you know, whatever it is, it's easy for me to tap into. However, I'm not that angry of a person in real life. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> so it's kind of this release, you know. Welcome to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and this is the podcast that is uh, set up based on a simple premise that uh, everything today is a brand. Every person, every celebrity, every athlete, every politician, uh, every product, every company, every institution, uh, everything's a brand today. A brand is a set of values, and we do two things on the show. First, we uh, interview a iconic personal brand about their own brand, and today it's Susie Essman. Uh, Susie is one of the stars of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is coming back uh, in the next week or so for its, I think it's its 11th season. I'm not sure, but Susie is hysterical. She's brilliant. Um, she is going to rock your world, make you laugh today. And we're going to talk to Susie and have a lot of fun with her. But first it's our brands of the week. And these are the brands that are shaping the zeitgeist in terms of what's going on, where we're going, how we're getting there. And let's get right into which brands are up and which brands are down. Let's start with Donald Trump, a, uh, Brand neutral, but I just figured I'd, I'd just include this in, in, a, in a private speech in a Republican donor retreat Thursday. Trump, unprompted, said, brought up the unsubstantiated claim that he had interactions with prostitutes that he said about golden showers. He says, I'm not into golden showers, he told the crowd. You know, the great thing, our great first lady, that one, she said, I don't believe that one. Um, he was, of course, referring to the allegations of the Steele dossier. 
Uh, Mueller debunked that, but just Trump unsolicited had to bring up that he's not into golden showers. So I thought I'd start off today's uh, podcast with that one and just give Trump a neutral for that because what else is going to do with that? Here's a lovely one, a huge brand down for the uh, Carroll Independent School District in Texas that tells teachers that books about the Holocaust must be balanced with books offering opposing views. I'm going to say that again. You must balance opposing views of the, like if, if there's a book about the Holocaust, there's got to be the other side of it. I'm waiting to hear that argument. Um, they said, according to the order recording by, uh, obtained by NBC News, the training session came four days after the Carroll School Board responding to a parent's complaint, voted to reprimand a fourth grade teacher who had kept an anti, anti-racism book in her classroom. Um, now, they, the official said, try to remember the concept of House Bill 3979 and make sure you have a book on the Holocaust that you have one on as an opposing view and other perspectives. It's this this uh, Texas Senate Bill 3 that every book has to have an opposing view. Uh, one teacher said anonymously, we're literally afraid that we're going to be punished for having books in our classes. There are no children's books that show the opposing perspective of the Holocaust or the opposing perspective of slavery. Are we supposed to get rid of all the books on these subjects? Fucking scary stuff. So there's the Carroll School District in Texas. A lot of good things happening in Texas. Uh, I say that with tremendous... Um, uh, sarcasm. Uh, brand up to Pete Buttigieg, brand down to uh, Tucker Carlson. This is this is a great one. Pete Buttigieg, who ju- just had twins with his partner, um, took a uh, parental leave, uh, which you're able to do legally. He said he was blessed to kind of the family, kind of the family leave the Biden administration is seeking to make the national standard. Uh, a lot of Republicans critics faulted him for taking time off with his husband and two newborns. Um, and here's a great one. Uh, this is from Tucker Carlson. People who judge has been on leave from his job since August after adopting a child. Paternity leave, they call it. Trying to figure out how to breastfeed. No word on how that went, Carlson said. What a douchebag Carlson is. I mean, here's a guy. I mean, like, what century are you living in that you're going to actually make fun of a guy that way? I, you know, you, are you that homophobic? What, what is it, pal? What is it, Mr. Carlson? And there we go, a brand down for him. Okay, a brand down for anti-vaxxers. You know, we just... It's easy to forget that people are still, that's not easy to forget. It's just, let's not forget when people are still dying. A new study shows 90,000 COVID-19 deaths in four months were preventable. This is basically 91% of those who died, people died of COVID could have been saved by the vaccine. So we have like almost 100,000 deaths. Think about that. The 100,000 deaths that if just people are getting vaccinated could have been avoided. It's insanity. It's insanity. Um, a brand up for nurses. Nursing schools are seeing applications rise despite the COVID burnout. Nurses around the U.S. are getting burned out by the COVID and they're leaving their jobs. But applications to nursing schools are rising, driven by educators saying young people who see the global emergency as an opportunity and a challenge. So uh, nursing nursing applications for nursing schools is up. Enrollment of bachelor's, master's, and doctoral nursing programs increased by 5.6% in 2020, which translates to over a quarter of a million new nurses. So there you go. Uh, brand down for Jamie Dimon, who I have a lot of respect for. Jamie Dimon is the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, one of the prolific bankers of our time, a good guy uh, and a really, really smart guy. But he's basically says, I personally think that Bitcoin is worthless during an Institute of International Finance event. He goes, I don't want to be a spokesperson. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. Our clients are adults. They disagree. That's what makes markets. So if they want to have access to buy yourself Bitcoin, uh, we we give them access. Um Diamond, Diamond uh, told the interview he thinks regulators are going to regulate the hell out of it. He may, he may be right, but here's why I believe Bitcoin is, is here to stay or facsimiles thereof is if you have enough young people 
that believe that this is the currency it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy i think they're gonna be twists and turns here but i think cryptocurrency is here to stay uh i own a little of it uh i don't i'm not recommending to anyone um but on the flip side, CNBC warns that crypto could cause 2008-level meltdown. This is from the Bank of England official, warns this on CNBC. It's not CNBC saying it, it's the, it's the uh, Bank, of New, Bank of England official. And basically, the premise there is that this is basically the growth of Bitcoin in the last five years gone from an overall Bitcoin worth or, or crypto worth $16 billion to $2.3 trillion. He said that it's similar to the $1.2 1.2 trillion subprime mortgage market of 19, 2008. When something is growing that fast and it's unregulated, it's a recipe for trouble. So there, two conflicting stories uh, on uh, Bitcoin. Okay, brand up to Apple. You got to keep buying Apple stock. Here's all you need to know. This is just talk about the ubiquity of iPhones. A whopping 87% of U.S. teenagers have iPhones. I want to say that again. Almost nine in 10 U.S. teenagers... Nine in 10 U.S. teenagers don't own anything that's the same. Think about a product and an expensive product and a product that's used all the time and is kind of the focus of their universe that nine out of 10 teenagers have an iPhone. That's according to a new survey of 10,000 young people from the investment bank Piper Sandler. It rose one point. 30% of teens said they owned an Apple Watch during the survey from 25 a year ago. Um, it, it's just incredible. 14% uh, of the while we're on the teens consume plant-based meat. Uh, they spend money on looks. Clothing, 22%, is eclipsed food. Um, but boy, they, you know, all you need to know about Apple. And by the way, they're teenage, you, you create your brand uh, wardrobe, your brand allegiances when you're in your teens and you stay with them for life. They change, obviously, and the car you're driving as a teen is probably not that sharp. But, you know, if you got an iPhone, you're not going to trade it in for something else. So there you go. Um, speaking of teens, brand down for TikTok. Teen girls are developing ticks, doctors say. And TikTok to be a factor of it. Teenage girls across the globe have been showing up at doctor's offices with ticks. That's obviously a physical jerking movement. And basically, he here's some stats. In March 2020, Texas Children's Hospital was reported seeing approximately 60 teens with such ticks, whereas doctors said there were one or two cases a year before. Johns Hopkins at the Tourette Center, 10 to 20% of pediatric patients have described acute onset tick-like behaviors up from 2 to 3% the year before. And a lot of doctors are subscribing this to something as related to TikTok, that it's just getting into the brain and it's just causing these TikTok-type tick movements. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, brand out the U.S. workforce. A record 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August. <sighs> you know, I'm not quite sure what that means. It's not a good thing. Um, is this still the result of all the extra money people got uh, from the stimulus? I don't think so. Is it the result of uh, people post-pandemic seeing kind of a new vision of life? But I don't know what these people are doing for a living, but it's not a good thing. I got to tell you that way. Okay, brand up for Joe Montana. Now, Joe Montana, of course, San Francisco 49ers, the second greatest quarterback of all time after um, Tom Brady. You got to give Tom a goat. Um, he's already preparing for the biggest windfall of his venture capitalist career. GitLab, which he's one of the initial owners, are supposedly he's going to have a $10 billion IPO. That's what their valuation is worth. A $100,000 investment that he made is now worth, according to this, if this goes, $42 million. So there you go, Joe Montana. Uh, Adele, brand up. Her new single, Easy On Me, shatters Spotify, Amazon Music Records. You know, people were wondering, she disappeared for about six years since her last single, which was 25, called, I think it was called 25. Her new album is called 30. And this is a single that got released. And it's just something about Adele just blows through everything. Everybody was wondering, 
it's six years later, the music business has changed. It's ever changing. Is she still going to have that weight? And Adele, I don't mean literally weight. She certainly, certainly has it. And good for Adele. She is brilliant. Brand up for Daniel Craig. And he actually got shit from this, from some gay organizations, which I don't understand. He said he's always frequent to gay bars. He says he does it because he helps him avoid fights. Uh, he said he started going to gay bars when he was young because he wanted to avoid getting in, in a punch-up. Um, he's married to Rachel Wise. And he says gay bars would just be a good place to go. Everybody was chill. Everybody, you didn't really have to sort of state your sexuality. It was a very safe place to be. And I could meet girls there. Uh, a lot of girls there for the same reason I was there. And some members of the LGBT community thought it was somehow disrespecting gay bar. Like, I don't get that one. I mean, I guess in this world when everybody comes out with anything, but good for Daniel Gregg. Superman, brand up. Superman changes motto to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Of course, we know Superman as truth, justice, and the American way. I'm guessing because of Superman's global marketability, they don't want to make it truth, justice, and the American way. Um, and another bring up a Superman DC Comics ushering a new man of steel, the new Superman, Jonathan Kent, who is the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane, will soon, be a, will soon have a romantic relationship with a male friend, DC Comics announced Monday. The same-sex relationship is just one of the ways that Jonathan Kent, who goes by John, is providing to be a different Superman than his famous father. There you go. So the gay offspring of first Superman. Brand up for something called Hello Portation. This is really interesting. A company called Portal, P-O-R-T-L, says a seven-foot-tall booth which you can beam a 3D image of yourself anywhere in the world. It's interesting. In an age of COVID-19, it's valuable to have a break, project someone from point A to point B. Um, the technology will make it a bit, it's a bit expensive, but it's basically for the price of $10,000, you can beam a 3D image of you anywhere. You can send a loved one. You, I, I think this has business applications. I think that's really interesting. Holoportation. Okay, this is an interesting one. A brand up coming towards Christmas a couple of months away for small squishy toys, and here's why. They said that about 85% of toys sold in the United States are made in China. And the Spotlight of booking a 40-foot con container from Shanghai to Los Angeles, those are those huge containers that, that come on boats and whatnot, um, have doubled. They're up 230%. So a lot of toy makers are cramming the containers with little cutie totos, little furry stuffed animals wrapped in burrito-like blankets. It's a simple case. You can put so many more squishy little toys than the kind of the Tonka trucks or the Care Bears. So you're going to see a lot more little squishy toys because they're a lot cheaper to get here. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know why. I just wanted to include that in there. And finally, brand up to Elon Musk. He is now worth $230 billion. Yes, more than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined. His stock grew about $60 billion last year. So he made $60 billion in net worth last year. Something's crazy in this world. I don't know, but you know, Got to give it to him, Elon Musk. But there is something wrong in this country where I think statistically 20 people or no, maybe even six people have same amount of wealth as the bottom 50 poverty, 50% poverty. So I don't know what the answer is. We have free enterprise, we have capitalism, and obviously he's doing a lot of good things, but a little crazy. And those are our brands of the week. Now let's get to our interview with Susie Essman. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. She is one of the funniest people around. She's also one of the nicest people around. And she's, when new season of Curb Enthusiasm is starting, we're going to hear all about it and the travails with Larry David. Here's my interview with Susie Essman. Okay, I want to talk about Shopify. And Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. You got to use Shopify. It's a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere 
giving entrepreneurs, guys like myself who built company, the resources once reserved for big business. They customize your needs with a great looking online store that brings the idea to life and manages day to day and drives sales. It's, it's, it's really fantastic. It, it, it's, it's Shopify powers over 1.7 million entrepreneurs, just like me from first sale to full scale. Everything you need to sell, every, every device, every tool, everything is Shopify. This is the way to go. Gain knowledge and confidence and extensive resources to help you succeed. Every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. It helps your business grow. You want to sell anything, Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash Donnie. That's all lowercase for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash Donnie right now. Shopify.com slash Donnie. Guys, this is really smart. Guys and women. I just use the word guys, but Shopify. Okay. I want to talk about trade coffee. Trade, T-R-A-D-E. Would you consider yourself a certified coffee nerd or a self-professed coffee newbie? Either way, you need to hear about trade. Trade's goal is to make every cup of coffee your best effort. The journey to your perfect cup starts with taking their coffee quiz. Do you use a French press, automatic drip? You're a cold brew person. No problem. Your answers will allow trade to pair you with a perfect coffee to fit your taste. If you're a coffee person, you got to try trade. It's really, it's really going to kind of up your coffee game. It guarantees you'll love your first match. On the off chance you don't, they're replaced with a different bag for free. We'll match you to coffees you love from 400 different craft coffees. So yeah, you, I mean, you go to your coffee places now and you get your coffee wherever you get it or you make it. There are 400 craft brews out there. Go on trade coffee. You can match up with one of them and you don't realize how, how great coffee can even be better than it is. It get, you give feedback as you sip, as your preferences evolve. Your coffee matches will too. You can feel good about each cup since trade partners with 55 small U.S.-based roasters who are committed to ethical, sustainable sourcing. For all our listeners right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and five bucks off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com on brand and use the promo code on brand. That's drinktrade.com on brand and use promo code on brand. Take the quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup. I did the quiz. It's really easy. It's really interesting. Uh, I checked this thing out. It's very, very, very cool. Um, so trade coffee, go on, take the quiz. It's interesting. You, you're not committed to anything, but go on, take this quiz, and I think you'll you get a kick out of it. I am thrilled at today's guest. Um, she's one of my favorite people. She's brilliant. Um, she is Susie Essman, uh, brilliant stand-up comedian, uh, best known, of course, as Susie Green on Curb Your Enthusiasm, also as uh, her book, What Would Susie Say? Bullshit Wisdom About Love, Life, and Comedy. Uh, she was the voice of Mittens and Bolt. She's a stand-up. She's done so many things, and I am thrilled to have you here today. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Donnie. Um, I was thinking about this, and I love you too. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, I'm a branding nightmare. Yes. <laughs> well, what, well, the way we the way we always start on the show, what would you say the Susie Essman brand is? Well, you know, I don't do any social media. Right. So, you know, um, what is the Susie Essman brand? Um, uh, you know, it depends on which Susie. Is it my stand-up brand? Is it my acting brand? Is it? Uh, I would say it's just me. I would just say it's authentic and no bullshit and uh, enjoying myself doing what I'm doing. All right. That's good. That's a good brand. Uh, you know, obviously but, you anybody know, that looks at you is going to immediately superimpose Susie Green. I mean, you've lived with yeah, this your, your whole life. This is, this is, you know, 
You've talked so many times about people coming up to you saying, my wife is just like you, or I'm just like you. And, and yeah. it's not it's always- It's the good and the bad. Yeah. I mean, that that is great that it's that I play an iconic character. I couldn't be happier. Um, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine the other day, and I was saying, somebody said to me in 1983, when I first started doing stand-up, that this is what my life would end up, this is what my career would end up being. I I take it. Yeah. You know, it's been a, an amazing ride. It's also- there are downfalls to it. I mean, I'm pigeonholed into that character. Yes. People think that's all I do. People think I'm her. So it's the good and the bad. You, uh, I just want to go back to early in your career. Uh, you're doing stand-up and I think Catch a Rising Star. And, and yeah. you, as stand-ups do, you're sitting at the bar the whole night during everybody else's sets. And that's how you met Larry. That's right. 19, I don't know, 85 maybe. Uh, and what I remember, Joy Behar, we started together. You guys are good um, buddies. You enjoy yeah, she's yeah, my best. She's a dog. Yeah. And um, we would just, we would hang out at the bar at Catch a Rising Star. And, and so much of stand-up is hanging out at the bar with other comedians. Yes, that's every, every comedian's memoir I've heard, like, that's that's it. That's where it happens. That's, that's where, where the breaks happen. And, and, it, you know. and, and it's kind of great because it's your cheers. You know, you walk into a club. And in those days, it was, there was so few clubs and so few comedians. And everywhere you went... You knew everybody. I didn't need a boyfriend all those years. I had every Saturday nights. I was busy. I yeah. was working. Yeah. New Year's Eve. I was busy. That was a money night, you yeah. know, and everywhere you go, you just, you know, you know, every bartender, every waitress, whatever, every comic. So we'd be hanging out. Those were good days. The 80s were really, really yeah. fun days in the comedy world. And we'd be hanging out at the bar and Larry would just be telling us all his dating tales of woe. One thing after another which then became all the George Costanza storylines. Yes, yes. And, and you remember watching Seinfeld and saying, oh my God, I used to hear that story. I used to hear that story. Exactly. And, 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 and as a matter of fact, Jason Alexander has said that he would get the scripts and he would read the script and he would say, oh, come on. Nobody ever acted like yeah. this. This never happened to Edward. And Larry would be like, it happened to me. Right. <laughs> it happened to me. <laughs> Do you remember back then knowing that this guy was something special. Uh, I mean, he was a comedian. He, was, he had the crazy hair on him with the bozo hair. And the, and the, yeah, yeah. he had done well, a few failed things, some of those Saturday, Friday night shows. He and did different, Fridays yeah. and a bunch of, and he was a writer on SNL. Which, which was, a, was disaster a disaster for him. him, yeah. yeah. Total disaster. Um, you know, here's what I, if I would have said to anybody at the bar at Catch a Rising Star in those days, Larry's going to be more successful and richer than all of us combined, nobody would have believed it. Yeah. However... We all knew he was brilliant and a genius. Yeah. That that was You just didn't know if it was going to translate on a mass scale. I mean, that was, it, that was it, his it, problem it, on SNL. That it never seemed like it was going yeah. to. It really never seemed like it was going to. As a stand-up, he had the most brilliant material. And we would all sit in the back of the room and watch him because he was volatile. You never knew when he was just going to storm off stage or just, you know, have a fight with somebody in the audience because they looked at their watch or yeah. something. Yeah. So it was fun for us, you know, but but we all we all knew that this was a genius writer and hilariously funny and unique a completely original voice. I, I want to go stay on the early years because being a, a woman comedian was very different than today. Today, it's a matter of fact really that everybody's hard. treated the same. G give me the, the the kind of the the Susie version of, okay, being a female comedian in 1985, being one in, in 2021. Well, you know, when you're doing stand-up, everything's about stage time. You can't you can't practice in front of a mirror. You can't practice in a class. You got to be in front of an audience. So it's all about getting the spots. And that was in the beginning the biggest struggle because they wouldn't they would have a lineup, you know, on a weeknight that would be these showcase clubs, and there would be like 10, 15 comedians. They'd only put one woman on. Yeah. 
and it would be male, male, male. So you were fighting and you didn't want, I never wanted to fight against my sisters. Yeah. You know, it, it, they caused this competition between us. Um, there was one club downtown called Comedy U on 13th Street mm-hmm. University, which was a fantastic place that had all female night. I think it was one of the first ever. So that was, we gravitated towards that. But there was a real struggle to get spots because it just, I don't know why they wouldn't put more than one woman on. You know, maybe they thought we were all going to talk about our period. Well, the same reason they probably didn't all put the men, more. All the men talked about masturbation, so who I'm cares? sure they didn't put more than one black face on also. I mean, exactly. you know, I mean it was just exactly. like that. That's a, I, look. Uh, that's the way that it was. And and there was there was definitely a feeling. What's interesting, I had never felt this about Larry or some of the other really terrific comics, John Stewart, you know. Um, I never felt this from them, but from the mediocrities is where you really felt it. Yeah. They're always the most dangerous people. Yeah. And you used to feel like they just did not think women were funny. I got up against that all the time, that women weren't funny. Well, in the early and SNL was- days, I mean, I remember reading the, the Tom Shales book and how Belushi uh, was, women aren't funny. I, I, if it was a way, they, Belushi wouldn't do a, a, a sketch that was written by one of the women writers. I mean, it's just, it, yeah. it's insane. What was the, you know, you talked, you've talked, I read in a recent interview about obviously the political correctness today. Talk to me about kind of the dichotomy, both in those early days as a woman, what you couldn't do that you could do today because women are in a different place, but what you could do that you couldn't do today. Like I, I could see it cutting both ways in a strange way. Um, you know, I, I did, I was actually, uh, I think it was really before me that 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 I think the Joan Rivers and the Phyllis Dillers and I think they had a rougher time. I think that uh, something about them that I never connected to was that they were always self-deprecating yes. and Cody Fields. They probably felt and they I had think, to. They probably felt they, that I was the way. They yeah. had to. Yeah. I think that the audience would not have accept, accepted them if yeah. they were not self-deprecating. Yeah. By the time I came along in the mid-80s, that didn't even, I never even considered that. Yeah. I, I just was who I was and I talked about sex and I talked about having sex with younger guys because that's what I was doing. Yeah. I just talked about my life. You whole, you know, right. And, <laughs> and um, and I think that I was groundbreaking in that way, that that women weren't talking about sex in that way as though it was something enjoyable. Yeah. That, we, you know, like we weren't allowed to like it in yeah. a certain way in the earlier years. So I think that that, I never thought about political correctness. I always thought about my little, you know, thing going up my spine, yeah. my internal compass thing uh, about whether it, it felt good or it, it didn't feel good. And it's, it's funny because I was talking to a, a comic the other day. And we were talking about that that thing, that that little lie that you start to feel when you're on stage. But we were allowed in those days to just push the envelope. Yeah. Nobody had cell phones. Nobody was tweeting while you were on stage. Nobody was recording you. You could really, really go out there and push the envelope. And that's how you grow and that's how you develop. And that's how you, so you start to say, okay, this is too far. This is working. I could push it this And And I think if you're not willing to take those chances as a comic, then what's the point? Okay, I want to talk to you about ID Tech. ID Tech is the world leader in STEM education. Your kids will explore science, tech, engineering, and math. That's STEM, science, tech, engineering, and math. Topics not covered in school as they are prepared for a future that demands literacy in these crucial fields. Guys, you're raising kids. This is the area that everybody's going to be hiring and continue to grow. Right now, they're offering a great deal. You can save 150 bucks on weekly small group semesters or get started with a one-on-one tutoring session for just 49 bucks. So if you want your kids to have more, learning more on science, tech, engineering, and math, this is the place to go. It's fantastic. ID Tech is where kids and teens learn from the best. Their live instructors make learning fun with engaging courses in coding, design, game development, math, 
even robotics. Curriculum is developed in partnership with top universities like MIT. With one-on-one tutoring and weekly small group semesters, there's something for every kid. So like if you feel your kid's not getting enough on technology and nothing on engineering in school or not even enough math or, or any of this kind of stuff, science, this, if you have that kid, if you have that science math kid, this is what you want. Go to idtech.com slash Donnie right now and use code Donnie to save 150 bucks on weekly small group semesters. For a limited time, you can also get started with a one-on-one tutoring session for just 49 bucks. A friend of mine just started this with their kid and they love it. That's code Donnie at idtech.com slash Donnie to save 150 bucks. And your child can start learning online from a live instructor right now. idtech.com slash Donnie. Check it out. Math, science, technology, engineering. If your kid's interested in any of them, this is going to up the game. Okay, I want to talk to you about Indeed. And if you're hiring, any kind of hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible because you can do it all, attract, interview, and hire all in Indeed. Look, not everybody can afford a human resources department. And this is your this is like having your own HR department. It's like having 500-person HR department. You're a small business Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. They help you every step of the way. Find the talent and skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your description. You can even invite them to apply right away. With Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job posts, according to Indeed. And this is really interesting. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply your job than those who only see it in search, according to Indeed data. So get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash onbrand. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash onbrand, Indeed.com slash onbrand, offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions applied need to hire, you need to Indeed. This is your own human resources place. You want to hire, go to Indeed. I, I'm always curious, and, and Seinfeld's talked a lot about this, how you guys write. You know, Seinfeld's got, he, he said he's got thousands of yellow legal pads. Are yeah. you, is, a, is your kind of um, arc, creative arc where, oh, you come up with an idea and you write a joke down and then a week later you have another one and then all of a sudden you have a set. I mean, how does it? How do you kind of bring your material to Jerry, life? Jerry is a very uh, uh, disciplined, very disciplined writer. And yes. he's a, he's, he knows how to craft a joke. I mean, he's he he's a craftsman. Right. But he really crafts a joke. I did never work that way. I tried. It never worked for me. I wrote on stage. I would have, which is why I always had so much anxiety. Right. <laughs> It was so anxiety provoking. I would have a premise. I would have something that I thought was funny. Uh, maybe I'd be talking to Joy on the phone that morning and something would, would come into my head. I'd be like, I'm going to try that tonight. And then I would get on stage and it was almost as though I had to come up with a punchline because it was a gun to my head mm-hmm. in front of the audience and it would come to me. So you you would get up with a, a eight or a 10 minute set and not, you didn't have the whole thing planned out? No. Wow. Rarely, That's... rarely did I have it planned out. And then once it, then, then once the punchline would come to me in front of, you know, either 10 people or a thousand people, yeah. you never know how many, what, it, what it is. And then I would be, okay, that's, that's the joke. That, and then I would start to hone it yeah. on, on stage. Yeah. I would hone it. I'd play with the wording. I'd play with the rhythm. Um, and then, you know, in the beginning you get your 10 minutes and then it seems like you have this 10 minutes for like the longest time. Cause then you take stuff out and then you yeah. add stuff in and, and eventually you develop your your set. Um, 
It takes a really long time yeah. to have a really tight hour. Yeah, hours a lot. I mean, you really think about yeah, it. That's a lot. All right, it's let's talk lot. about the birth of Susie Green and, and how this happened because you're so entwined with the character and and probably one of my favorite character, five favorite characters in any medium of all time. You, 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 oh, live, you. no, no, I, I, before I knew you, before we knew each other personally and became friends, you, you fucking come on the screen and I start fucking laughing. And, and I actually think that you are, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You're the, in a weird way, the anchor character, because you're the, you're the, I think the way the audience expresses their rage at so much is going on, but in a playful way, you're a foil, you're, and, you know, it was interesting. I was reading how that you weren't in the pilot and how it felt you were really missed in that pilot, that you not being there, not having that that voice. Well, in the beginning, um, yeah, there was this character of Jeff's wife. And um, I, don't, I don't really remember if Larry saw people. But in 1999, I did a roast, a friar's roast of, which, by the way, I miss, let me just say, I, miss I, that. I stopped. I stopped being a friar when they started naming the monastery after Jerry Lewis, who was another person who claimed that no women are funny, yeah. that it used to turn his stomach to watch a woman Jesus. on stage Ooh. knowing that she could be a mother. Oh, yeah. right. And that was just, that's when I had to leave. Yeah. But um, since then, there's been other issues there. But um, it was a friar's roast of Jerry Stiller, and it was aired on Comedy Central. And, you know, in roasts, Working a roast is a very, I work a roast a very different way than I would work. A roast, you have to have your jokes. You better yeah. have your setups. Oh, your yeah, punches. yeah, 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 yeah. You better write it all ahead of time. There was no spontaneity with me in a roast unless something came to me while I was sitting on the dais that I thought of to say. Um, so I worked really hard on that roast and I had my, you know, I had my set. And um, and if I recall, Comedy Central didn't want me to be on that roast. They nixed me. The Friars Motherfuckers, right. Yeah, okay, right. They and but finally, they, I, I guess they figured they could cut me out. Roasts are really hard. Yeah, you're in that that Hilton Grand Ballroom <laughs> with the high high ceiling, and the laughs go. Ah. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a low ceiling. Um, so anyway, so I was on the roast and I killed. And Larry had this idea for this character of Jeff's wife who had a filthy mouth. And he saw I hadn't seen him in ten years. Yeah, you know he moved to L.A. He was doing Seinfeld, and he called me up one day and he offered me the part. He just, I, I remember the quote. I was like, Susie, it's LD. I was like, oh, I laugh. I haven't talked to you in 10 years. What do you want? He's like, I have this part for you. And I said, what's the part? He said, don't worry about it. You could do it. And I said, <laughs> send me a script. He's like, there's no script. There's no script. There's no money. You know, I worked day scale for the first four seasons, I think, or whatever. We were just this kind of under the radar slap that, you know, we have no script. It's just yeah, improvised. we'll talk about that, yeah. Um, and um, the first season I had, I had a, there was a scene where uh, Jeff has a fresh air fun kid come into our house to live with us and the kid robs us blind. Right. So uh, Larry gives me the direction. This is the first real Susie Green scene. I had had a couple other innocuous scenes and he says, um, rip Jeff a new asshole. That's what I want you to do. And I was like, all right, I could do that. I've been in relationships, right. no big fucking deal, you know? So I start screaming at him and yelling at him and cursing, cursing. And he kept on saying, go further, go further. And finally said, pulls me aside, he said, make fun of Jeff's fat. I said, I don't want to do that, Larry. I hate, that's not my yeah. style. You know, I don't like to make fun to of mean, people's yeah. physical characteristics, yeah. of, you know, unless it's certain people's hairdos. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, Mobius strips. But um, I, he was like, just do it, just do it. He knows you're only acting. So I did. And that's the first time I called him a fat fuck. And then it was just, I don't know, the, the 
Larry and I, and all the, you know, we've been doing this since 2000. You said you've never discussed the character. We have never discussed the character. It's amazing. Never discussed the character. We have, we have a tremendous um, respect and trust for one another. You know, we're very close and we just have like a dialogue of the unconscious. We know what each other's doing. And he started to see what I was doing and write more towards it. And I started to see what he wanted and go more towards yeah. that. And, of course, originally, and Susie I, was not a major cut. You just had a couple of, you were in a few episodes. No, and as I was you said, a it was guest star for several seasons. Yeah. You were, and then I developed this way she dressed. I just Well, had that was what I found that. interesting also in, yeah. in reading up is that so much of it comes from, you You said you start from the outside. You you got these yes. people to buy these garish clothes from Lomans, which is no longer around now, these very kind of gaudy outfits. And then yeah. you said you worked the, I found this fascinating, you developed the character by kind of getting dressed first and from the outside yeah. and it kind of inspired, if you will. Yeah. Well, I also know who she, you know, it, it's funny because people think she's me and I have no desire to play me. I'm with me all the time, right. you know? Um, and I wanted her to be this character that is totally and completely secure in everything she does, whether it's how she dresses, her opinions. She's completely reactive. Somebody says something to her, boom, she's, she responds and she doesn't second guess. I'm a comic. Comics never behave that way. Right. We analyze everything. Yes. We're insecure. We're second guessing. We're, you know, it's, it's nothing like me, but there were these girls that I, I remember in high school who they just seemed I guess their mothers really loved them or something. But <laughs> they always seemed so secure yeah. and for no real apparent reason. Yes. Like they were average in every possible yes, way. Right. But they always seemed so secure. And I always like marveled at them because that was not me. Yeah. That's amazing. So I want to talk about the, the you, you touched on it. And this is, I don't know if the average person even knows this about how this is actually, how Curve is created, that you basically get a paragraph describing Okay, here, here's what's take me through, for instance. Okay, here's the scene, here's what we get, and then here's how it plays out. Because there's really nothing else like it. I actually did a uh, a one season, I don't know if you know this. I did a, a, a show called Donnie on USA, which was similar, in, I don't even compare it to Kerr, but in the sense I played a fictionalized version of myself, but there was a lot of me in it. And we did it the same way. I so, thought it was like great. Like a Larry actually. Sanders. Kind it, yeah, of it, was, it was it. I played a cheesy talk show host a daytime talk show host. And we actually shot it in my home. And what, and so we did it that way. Obviously, I'm not even putting myself in the, in the same universe, but talk to me about that process and, and how that works. Well, what, you know, I'm sure it was very funny, but what you didn't have was Larry's story brain. Yes. Because Larry, I mean, you know, Larry's so brilliant, but I think his one of his main things is his sense of story and the way that he puts uh, uh, everything. If you take a part in any episode, you see... The, the weaving and ca the callbacks and how right. everything happens for a reason. Yeah. So we get an outline. It's They used to be seven pages. Now they're like 12. They've gotten so much more dense yeah. over the seasons. This season is like crazy dense. Each episode is more than 30 minutes. Let's put it that way. So yeah, so the outline, there's a paragraph that tells you what's happening in the scene. So we know what has to happen in the scene. There's no dialogue. So for instance, it will give me a scene and, and exactly what they'll say. It can be from an old episode or a new episode or whatever. Okay. I, mean, I know you uh, won't talk about any of the new stuff, but. Let me think. Um, uh, okay. Uh, the ski lift. Yes. One of, that's Larry's favorite episode. Okay. One of my favorite episodes. Susie has to pretend to be Larry's orthodox wife. And they're in the ski lodge and they're talking to, I forgot his name, Ben who's head of the kidney consortium and his daughter and have to try to convince them that they're married. Right. 
just like that. Okay. And, and then we go. And, and we you, know what information. There might be more detail. But Richard Lewis has mentioned at some point is needing a kidney or some such thing. So we know where we have to go. And, and usually, sometimes we get it right away. Usually it takes us about seven or eight takes till we find the scene. Yeah. Then we set the scene and uh, and we do it several, do it. many, many times. Yeah. That's so, so you actually though, because it's funny, this is the same process. You actually, you add labor, you add labor, and then once you get it, then you're kind of doing it scripted, but version of that, but it didn't start on paper. It, it, it just happened and, there. And, yeah. and we'll, we'll always, I'll always throw something new in. Yeah. So we all, all of us, you know, always throw something new in, but you don't want to, you don't want to do, you don't want to sabotage because when you're improvising the most important and listen, Donnie, you know this, you're a great interviewer. The most important thing is listening. listening yes. hundred percent. 100%. Listening, which is what, which is what I think most people lack the ability to do yes. in life. <laughs> yes. No, that's, that's, that is the most important thing about, about interviewing. You, 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 you talked about how much or little there is of you in the character. Take me through both in Jeff and Larry and um, Cheryl, how much of them is in the character? Because they're, they're so layered that you can't, you look at Jeff and you go, well, that's him. You know what I mean? That that's gotta be him. I mean, it's just, you just, you can't, it's, it's just the grace with which you guys play it. So kind of unwind each character and say, well, ironically, okay, Jeff Cheryl, is very short, right. Cheryl uh, is such a great example because Cheryl is a truly fantastic improvisational actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheryl Hines is nothing like Cheryl David. Cheryl Hines is, do you know Cheryl at I've never, all? I interviewed her once years oh. ago. Don't know her personally, no. Cheryl is is like so, uh, Cheryl is so much fun and so game for everything. It's like all the things that bother her about Larry in the scenes that she plays, Cheryl Hines would just laugh those right. things off. Right, Whereas Cheryl David is the pragmatist. And yes. The, the, you know, boy, she's completely different Interesting. than her character. And Jeff? Completely. Um, Jeff you know, Jeff plays the buffoon in a certain way. He plays like, you know, just the, nothing like that at all. Jeff has an opinion about everything. Jeff is, you know, Jeff's really funny in real life, um, whereas his character is, is not a funny, the character, he's, he's the funny butt of the in joke. the yeah, character. He's the butt of the joke. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, he's playing the manager. Uh, Larry, Larry's the most interesting because Larry, Larry has told me he aspires to be that character. <laughs> <laughs> he aspires to be the guy that you run into him on the street and you say, hey, let's uh, give me your email. Let's get together for lunch. Who says, no, we're not going right. to get yeah. to I have no interest in having lunch for you. Right. But in real life, he's a very sensitive, yeah. um, caring, loyal, incredibly loyal friend. And he's our leader. He's And in Seinfeld also, he ran the entire show. Sure. You, that jerky character yeah. and run a show like that yeah. and have people, hundreds of people working for you and loyal to who are you. Yeah. Just incredibly yeah. loyal to you. I yeah. mean, the crew loves Larry and is incredibly loyal to Larry. So, but it is his it. Yeah. And that's why, I, and I think it's most people's it's. I, I only and met Larry once. It was interesting. The background if you hear it, but you know, the, the leaf, the leaf blowers are drive you crazy. Uh, in this that's world. quite right. <laughs> I only met Larry once. I was, I was very flattered. I was standing in front of the Beverly Hills hotel and he stopped me and he said, Donnie, and I said, Larry, how are you? He goes, yeah, Friday mornings on Morning Joe, right? He knew the day I was on Morning Joe. I was very flattered because he, I, I just think he's just fantastic. I, I, yeah, and he's he's a very kind person. However, he does think all those things. Yeah. You no, know, he is the guy that that wants to 
call out and tell the truth and say the things that everybody else is thinking, but he, but are afraid to say, but he doesn't do it in real life. In real life, he has tact and he has sensitivity, but he does think those things. And we do, we will be, you know, at certain things and texting each other back and forth, making each other laugh, saying the things that we're really thinking, yes. but that we would never say. <laughs> you also talked in one of the more recent seasons or, or maybe three or four years ago uh, that you channeled a lot of the rage from our newly elected president at the time. That that was Not kind our of newly elected, our, our ex president. Well, I'm saying at the time, yeah. yeah. I mean, he yeah, right yeah, after yeah, he got yeah. elected, well, that you kind of like my rage towards him is is, yes, is still. You and I have spoken many it's, many it's times still about right this. there to be tapped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, when it, the rage is kind of easy for me to tap into. It, and actually, it's one of the things that's interesting about the character is what I think that Susie Green has done for women, just from what they tell me, is. She's given them permission to be angry because women are not generally allowed to be angry. You know, we're told, at least how I was brought up, you know, be be nice little girls and be sweet and be you get more with sugar than vinegar and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think that women are rageful all the time and for good reason. Mm-hmm. So I think that I've given permission, that the character's given permission for a lot of women to be angry, which I enjoy. I'm happy about that. Um, there's always something to be angry at. I remember like previous seasons when I was raising teenagers, I could always get into a rage yeah. about something. Yeah. Politics, you know, whatever it is, it's easy for me to tap into. However, I'm not that angry of a person in real life. No, you're not. No, you're not. I, <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of this release. It's a great, you know? yeah, that, that must be a lot of, of fun. Release. A lot of fun. You, um, I want to just talk a little politics. You're very political. I know you're a big MSNBC person. We, we talk politics. Explain to me, as best as you can, just as a humanist or behaviorist, I understood the first time around how people could take a flyer on Trump. In other words, okay, I don't like Hillary, and maybe he's just saying these things to get elected. We need something different. But that the fact that 40% of this country could have seen that act for four years and put their thumbs up and said, yes, give us more of that. Is what does that say to you about who we are? Is it give, give me your analysis as you step back? And go, hmm. Okay. Well, 120 million people in this country, or whatever the number is, thought that's a good idea. What, you know, I don't have an answer. I, um, I have some things that I think about it, but it, it's deeply hurtful mm-hmm. to me. I feel tremendous uh, sense of mourning and sadness. I was talking, I had dinner with a friend last night who's a member of a, a country club, a golf club. Um, and he used to play golf with all these guys that that are a lot of Republicans in the club. He yeah. used to play golf with all of them. And there was a teasing thing going on and they knew who he was. And, and he said that post-Trump, all of that changed. The shift became so ugly that there was no longer a teasing thing yeah. going on yeah. no, on either side. It, it's There's an ugliness that we've seen right now that I'm not surprised about it because if you look through history, we know that that exists yes. in our DNA and yes. our ability. I think that it has to do with tribalism, and I think that's deeply embedded in us and, and de- demonizing the other. you know. But as a civilized human being, you need to rise above that. You need to recognize yeah. that about yourself. It's like, you know, your sexual urges. You're going to act out and, and, you know, have sex like a bonobo? Every single person. Is he? No, as a civilized person, you take control of that. And you say, I, okay, I learned I, that as I got older, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very late you learned it, Donnie. Or later than most. One of my favorite lines was when I did that, that party of yours. And I said, any woman in this room who has not 
gone out with Donnie. <laughs> yes, you were very grace, gracious. <laughs> My 60th birthday, you did, came, did a set, and you killed. I mean, it was just, you just ripped me apart. But, but, but here's I, what I thought was so brilliant about what you did. You knew the line. You took a lot of shots at me, you know, and you were, but it was so artful in that you went, you put your toes right on the line. And I don't remember exactly every joke, but you, you gave it yeah. to me good, but it was with love and it was done, you know, it was a roast. And, but that was, that was a highlight for but me. That comes from, you know, 35 years of experience. Yeah. You learn how to do that. That's what I was saying in the very beginning of our discussion about it, how, how it's so important as a comic to be able to push that envelope when you're first starting and to be able to go out on the edge and you start to learn, you know, where is that line? Yeah. And the line is always shifting and how you shift with it. And as you become more famous, the line shifts. And so, so that's from a lot of years of experience. So what can we, I, I, you probably, I mean, sworn to secret, they will take your first next male born if you say anything, but can you say anything about the upcoming season? Right before I came on here, I texted Larry and I said, can I mention any of our guest stars that are coming up? Okay. And he said, wait, he wrote, who can I mention? He said, mention all of them. Oh, wow. So I can tell you we have a lot of great guests. Uh, Woody Harrelson wow. is on this okay. season. Um, Bill Hader is on this okay. season. Wow. Okay. Do, now, are they playing themselves or are they playing characters? Uh, so, no, Will Hader is not playing himself. Okay. Woody Harrelson is playing. You know, okay. we always have yeah, that. Yeah, sure, of course. And is back. Uh, Richard Lewis, thank God, was able to do he's one He's okay. He's healthy. He's he's he, all right. He had so many, um, he had a lot of back surgeries. Yeah, no, I know. And, and he was written into more that he that he was able to do, but he was able yeah. to do one. I actually just saw that one. Um, who else? Uh, Patton Oswalt is playing a character. Rob Morrow is playing a character. Lucy Liu is playing herself. That's great. Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman oh has a- Four episode arc. She is not playing herself. She's playing a character. Oh my god! She's brilliant. Oh genius! Just brilliant. Genius. But he sent me the list. Who else? Uh, Julie Bowen. Um, Vince Vaughn is back playing Freddie Funkhauser. He's really, really funny this season. Uh, Kelly Coco. Is that so, how you pronounce yes, her name? Yes. 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 Um, and uh, who else? Uh, I'm forgetting people. That's amazing. We have a lot of, oh, that's well, exciting. Uh, uh, John Hamm does a little cameo. Okay. John Hamm was John Hamm when he when he was on in the yes, past. Yes, yeah. he's John Hamm again. The great my career highlight was in Billions. I played myself. I had a camera playing myself. I mean, it was just it would like I, that. That was my kind of career highlight. But that sounds amazing. And do you pick up where last season last end where where his um his shop got burned to the ground? His coffee shop? Or? No, no, that's no, all. It's, just, it's yeah. mentioned in what happened to Mocha Joe. But no, that's all. It's it's the the premise this season is so silly. I can't even tell you. Okay. It's just, but there's a thread. Ridiculous. There's a thread through the season. That, that always, yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, there's always one or two or three. Well, that's what I was saying about the improv- improvisation. But let me just get back to that. <clears throat> it's all about story. Everything that you do is about story. And Larry doesn't like anybody to read the outlines. He lets me read them, of course. Right. But because he doesn't want any of the guest stars uh, coming up with like funny sitcom lines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because then it's just bad sitcom lines. So you get you get to set. He tells you what the scene is about, and then we just play with it. It's just play. so you don't even. He doesn't. For instance, I didn't realize this part. So the ad, he literally will hand the script to the person on the set and say, "Here's the scene." So they don't. It's not even like they get it the day before to even think about it. Correct. And I don't even think they get. They, I don't even think it's they read it. I think they're just told. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, wow. That's, I I read it and I like to know about it because I like to know a couple of things. I like to know what's happening before my scene. Is somebody screaming and yelling at him? Before my scene, because if that's the case, then I'm going to take it, it down, down. Sure, yeah. you know, and give it different color. Yeah. And I also like to just know, when you're a regular character, there's so much going on 
throughout the script that you kind of need to know it. Was there one line that came out of you that you just kind of said, I can't believe that just came out of me because you're, 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 you're just emoting. So, I mean, is there anything where you're like, oh my fucking God, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. Yes. I think it was season three. Was it season three? I think it was season three uh, when it's the restaurant opening and there's the Paul Sand is the Tourette's syndrome. Uh, Chef, right. You know, Larry thinks it's a Holocaust survivor because he's got numbers on his right, arm. Right. When really they were just lottery numbers. And then everybody starts starts to scream and yell and, and shout out curses. I am not there. I walk in later on. Cheryl screams out, you know, something goddamn son of a bitch or whatever. She's looking at me and I respond to her and I say, fuck you, you car wash cunt. I had a dental appointment. <laughs> a word I never use, not dental appointment. Wow. It's a word I never use. I used it and it became legendary. That's legendary. My, the only my, time I've used that word in all 11 seasons. My favorite scene with you, I don't know why the episode is with your, your daughter's doll's head. And, oh, get and me the, the fucking head. You, get, what you fucks with the that? voodoo shit you do fucks into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was actually, that was season two. Right. A long time ago. A long time ago. And that was actually the first, it's one of my favorite episodes because it, it happens to be a, anybody who is listening to this and wants to learn how to write comedy, take that episode apart and just see how it's crafted. It's a perfectly crafted half hour of comedy. This is from, which Larry, the, second, you know, this is mean, from the second season. Yeah. And um, it's it's the first time that you hear that I get that spaghetti Western theme music. Right. Yes. And it's the first time that you see that these two, Larry and Jeff, are living in fear. Right. <laughs> I just love that. There's sometimes there's these two shots of the two of them when you're going at it with them and yeah. just the, this hapless <laughs> boobs who are just like two little idiots who are just busted and it's just and they think they're smarter than yeah, me it just no. it's it's just genius so what 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 do we can we look forward to next i mean you you're 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 you have this amazing kind of foundation maybe it'll be another season maybe not who knows but any exciting things you're thinking about or want to do coming up in the f- near future you know i i nothing i i just love to work donnie yeah. i love to work i i love the whole i love hanging out with the crew i love the camaraderie sure. of being on set um, I would love to get something to do in New York. Yeah, you know, because I live here. Yes, you do. Uh, but right now, there's nothing going on. I, I had a, a show in development at Hulu, and then they passed on it. So I think that we're going to try to go out and, and pitch that again. That Good. was, um, you know, I, Broad City. I played. Yes, you, yes, yes. You were the mother, City. right? Right. And this was a, a spinoff of Broad that. City. Was a great un, under the radar for a few Fantastic seasons show. on it. Those they, were all. I have such admiration. Here's an example. Abby uh, Jacobson and Alana Glazer, who created the mm-hmm. show, they started it out as a webisode. Yes. They couldn't get arrested. And then Comedy Central picked it up and then it became big. And, and luckily, I was lucky enough to play uh, Alana's mother and work with them because they're brilliant, brilliant girls. They, you know, they're what? What are they, 30 years younger than me? More. They're more than 30 years younger than me. They wrote, directed, produced, uh, started those things were not on the menu when I was coming no, up. I yeah. didn't know I could do all that. Yeah. And so I kind of feel that uh, they say that I laid me and my contemporaries joy and all of us, that we laid the groundwork for them. So that makes me really, really yeah. happy because they didn't even think twice about it. They just That's did. what they were doing. Susie exactly. Esmond, you are a mensch. Thank you. I know how busy you are. Thank you for taking the time. I'm your friend. I'm a fan. And I love you, sweetheart. Thank you so much. Friday morning, Donnie. All right, babe. You stay well, all right? All right. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere, everywhere you get podcasts. That's Spotify, that's Apple, or anywhere else. So rate, review, and subscribe. We really, it really helps us. And also you can watch videos on YouTube and also leave your comments and subscribe on YouTube also. If you like our show, we want to hear, hear from you. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see everybody next week on On Brand. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. El condado de Santa Clara está pasando por una emergencia de sequía extrema. Valley Water le pide a la comunidad que limite el riego de jardines a un máximo de dos veces por semana. Trabajemos juntos y digámosle sí, ahorrar agua. Visite watersavings.org para más información.